Hi. Uh, on behalf of the Texas Tribune, I want to welcome you all to uh, the seventh annual Texas Tribune Festival um, and this afternoon's panel, which is on big city economics. My name is Brandon Formby. I am the urban affairs reporter for the Texas Tribune. Uh, and today uh, we are joined directly next to me is uh, Fort Worth Mayor Betsy Price, uh, who was first elected in 2011. Um, before that, she was Tarrant County's tax assessor. Um, and Bicyclist Magazine has called her the most bike-crazy mayor in America. Fun fact. Uh, next to her is San Antonio City Councilman Ray Saldano. Uh, he was also first elected in 2011, um, a native San Antonian. Um, he's also the vice chairman of the Alamo Area Metropolitan Planning Organization um, and chief engagement officer for KIPP San Antonio. Um, and then on the far end is El Paso Mayor DiMargo, um, who was just elected uh, in June of this year, so he's only been in office a couple months. But prior to that, uh, he was a state representative um, from uh, Texas House District 78 and a previous chair of the El Paso Chamber of Commerce. Um, the program is going to last 60 minutes, um, but 10 minutes at the end, we will have uh, time for audience uh, questions and answers. There are microphones on either side of the room. Um, if you just want to step up to that, just make sure you say your name. Um, and it's okay to set up a question, but uh, make sure that you do have a question um, and don't just kind of give a statement. Um, and then after this, there will be a, a meet and greet with our panelists. Uh, in the lobby of the Jessen Auditorium, which is just next door. Um, also, if you haven't already, turn uh, the ringers on your cell phones off. Um, and if you want to um, tweet during the event, uh, the hashtag we're using is TribFest17. With that, we'll just go ahead and um, jump in and start talking about um, big city economics. Um, of course, in, in Texas this year, one of the, one of the biggest... Um, issues that has come up uh, with cities uh, and their, their own budgets and their finances is pensions. Um, anyone um, who's kind of paid attention to what's going on in Dallas and Houston or just in the legislative session this year um, knows that both those cities faced huge multi-billion dollar shortfalls um, in their police and fire uh, pension funds, um, both of which threatened to bankrupt the cities. So I just wanted to uh, throw it out to, to all three of you and kind of ask y'all um, kind of what the state is uh, with your pension funds. And I know in Dallas and Houston, it, the, the problems kind of lingered under the surface for several years. Um, and just are y'all seeing, you know, something like that happen? Or are y'all fairly confident in the state of your pension funds? Well, I'm fairly confident in the state of it, but we weren't there. When I was elected in 2011, one of the mandates was to address the pension. What had been done in prior administrations, they had done you know, as we say in Texas, giving away the ranch and benefits, and it got to where it just wasn't stable. Not realistic assumed rate, not realistic uh, years of service, all kinds of things. And you have to address pension because it's a huge liability for the city. And you have to have that pension stable for your first responders and indeed for your general service uh, employees too. And there had been a few changes made, but when I ran, I ran against a former council member and he was, his vow was, we're not going to touch pension. This is all blown out of proportion. There's nothing wrong with it. And I ran with the biz backing of the business community that we had to touch pension, that it was indeed going to impact everything the city did from our ability to borrow money, our bond rating, 
the amount of money. We were already putting in 20% of our payroll of our went to pension and still does. But we came in, and I obviously I won the race. I'm still here six and a half years later, much to the angst of our labor groups at the time who now have come on board because they really see what was happening. But, you know, the night we took the first vote on fixing the pension, changing the benefits, we changed the multiplier, changed the um, reduced the multiplier, changed it from high five to high three, had them change the assume rate, made significant changes because the promise to our taxpayers was we wouldn't put more burden on the taxpayers. And the fastest-growing city in the nation, Austin and Fort Worth, have bounced back and forth as number one and two for about 10 years. We simply couldn't afford anymore. We had a COLA that was out of control. We stabilized the COLA. But so we were fine. We got it down to 40 years funding. Ideally, that's not quite ideal, but close. But, you know, my husband made the comment when we took the first vote on the pension changes and what we were going to do. He said, you better hope we don't have a fire or a robbery because, as he said, honey, ain't nobody coming to help us after that vote. But that's, as you begin to roll that out and people find out that there really is a need, you start putting, instead of operating in a vacuum where it's quite kind of swept under the rug that we're having troubles, you put it all out and let them see it they begin to understand why you made the changes. So our pension has been very stable. Now, a year ago, they started changing their interest rate and and the value of a lot of the investments have fallen. So now our liability, unfunded liability, has jumped significantly up again. We've appointed a a pension task force to take a look at the pension again. They're going to spend the next year it's going to take a combination of changes in the pension, probably some changes in benefits for employees, probably some additional changes for what the city puts in. But they've even recommended a few low-hanging things. We changed the interest calculations for withdrawals when somebody leaves that's not ready to retire. They were drawing a very high interest rate, and we've dropped that back down to a market rate, and that helps because you do have a significant turnover when you have 6,800 employees in a city. You have significant turnover. And we change the way that they're allowed to purchase back in credit years when they get down to the end of service. So those are simple ones, but we have to file a plan with the state. First time we've anybody's had to do it, but we just happened to hit that cutoff this time. It'll be due in... November of 18, I believe it is. But I'm very confident that where we are, the pension board is working closely with us. The city manager has a handle on it, the commitment, and even the employees. And this new task force that we have is made up of two-thirds employees and a third pension professionals. So we'll get there. And it's, but p- dealing with pensions in today's world is never easy. Oh. What about you, Councilman? I'm really interested to hear what you have to say because uh, while everything was going on in Dallas... Um, San Antonio put up billboards in North Texas um, telling police officers there that um, y'all's pension was in much better shape. I'm trying to lure them down. You know, I wanted to take the position of an innocent bystander and just talk (laughs) about how we were students of what was going on and they were watching red flags. But, you know, I promised folks that I would try to make this this panel about the economics of big cities somewhat interesting. And and it's hard not to nerd out a little bit on some of these things because you need to be... Because the repercussions of, of not keeping up with promises are, are pretty severe. So I'll just tell you very quickly, San Antonio is not, uh, I would say it is in an, in, in an enviable position, not necessarily when we pick up the newspaper and read about other cities dealing with you know, 40% uh, unfunded liability uh, or, or 50%. So the city of San Antonio, just for baseline, is at 
But we truly took to heart what was happening in Houston. 83% funded? funded I'm sorry. Okay. 83% funded. So okay. if you are 40 or 50% funded, you should probably be figuring out, you know, going through the studies that, that Houston is going through now and trying to figure out creative solutions to try to get out from under that mountain. But in San Antonio, I say we're at 83% funded, but just three years ago, we were closer to 92, 93. So there's this sense that, you know, uh, I, as you get onto the council, you start to understand that you inherit some things about what's happened in the past, previous councils. Uh, and so the interesting thing about it is that you, you have to ask yourself, who's, who's in the seats who are making these decisions? And uh, for the city of San Antonio, we contribute uh, you know, a portion into the pension. So in this case, in our case, to our police and fire, we contribute 24% to their 12%. So a third of, of their contribution comes from the city, and we have a third representation on those boards. But I can tell you, when I was coming on as a council member, and many other colleagues of mine come on, and you have to start going through these large actuarial assumptions over 30 years, understanding the expected rate of return, that in many cases what you rely on are some professionals to just give you the best advice, because at the same time you're trying to fill potholes and pick up stray animals and, and balance the budget. The idea of trying to dig into making reasonable assumptions about how you are paying for the next 30 years are difficult and complex. So that's just a, a statement about who's serving on these boards because the fear is that in some cases you'll have professionals who may not be acting as professionals when they're, when they're doing the work of advising these boards, whether they're elected officials, retired police officers, retired firefighters, retired civilians. Uh, and then you get into these, these, these anecdotes where folks are making big investments with these pension funds and, and buying up thousands of acres to turn into a vineyard that is in the middle of nowhere. And so all of a sudden you have these uh, big runs on, on your pension and all of a sudden people start hearing the idea or the concept that pensions and pension benefits might be altered uh, and just start doing their best to pull out of, of the pension. And that creates a huge amount of issues for a city that's trying to finance itself. And any city wants, what any city wants is predictability and that's what the cities have established. So. Where Houston and some other cities are today is where San Antonio was in the 1970s. It was really the Wild West when it came to how to fund uh, pensions and who was contributing what. So uh, we've escalated to a point where we now commit right off the top uh, $75 million from our budget into uh, to the Police and Fire Retirement Pension Fund. And, and that's a significant amount of money. That To give you a sense of scale, uh, that outshines the amount of money we put into streets and drainage every single year. So that's the type of commitment you have to have every single year just to pay off these pensions. So we're, we're bystanders, and we will probably put up some extra signs saying we're hiring uh, new police and, and, and new fire. But um, I think it gets to another issue we'll talk about, which is the, the level of, of competition, how many of, of us as cities are looking over to the other city and wondering what they're doing. Uh, but we, we're in an enviable position now, but we need to watch ourselves because even over the last few years, we've gone from 90% funded to 83 and you need to be asking yourself why. Mayor? We're in good shape on the, on the pension plan. First thing I did was ask for the actual reports, and then at the most recent council meeting, we had a presentation. We're over 80% funded, somewhere between 17 and 20 years and uh, have been receiving awards and accolades across the state related to the investment um, portfolio and the returns. And uh, so that is not a concern for El Paso. There are plenty of other things that are concerns for El Paso, but that's not an, that is not a concern for us at this juncture. It's um, just an issue that has to be watched by everybody. And we're basically in very good shape, too, like y'all. But 
like you, we backslid a little bit. We tackled it, and then we had a little jump down when they had to adjust realistic rates, assumed rates. So. You're at 20 years, Mayor? Okay. Uh, 17. We're at six years. Just want to put that on the record. That's pretty good. <laughs> Uh, Mayor Margo, um, your city recently adopted its, its new tax rate for um, the upcoming year, um, um, which will raise the average tax bill about 5%. Um, and you said that you wished that the, the actual tax bills didn't have to go up. Um, but but why, why do they? Well, let me put El Paso in perspective. Um, we're a county of 824,000 and a city of 649,000 within the county. Um, our tax base is 70% residential. Okay? So it's actually a little over 60% on, on, on pure residential, but we lump in under the, our central appraisal district lumps in multifamily as part of residential. Uh, our valuations over this past year grew only 1.4%. We had the lowest increase in property values of any community in the state of Texas. So that coupled with commitments that were made prior to my being elected through police and fire contracts for which we voted on the fire, 76% of our budget is human capital. 60% 60% of that's police and fire. We walked into a $15 million increase in compensation contractually committed to. And frankly, uh, this was exposed, I would guess you'd say, in the preceding uh, year. They had forecast, Our city manager had forecast an increase of about 3.93%. It ended up being a $4.38 per hundred value, four cents per cents per $100 value. So a little less than five. Uh, But we were kind of, uh, our hands were tied. There really wasn't a whole lot else we could do about it. We had uh, contractual commitments. Number Number one obligation of our city charter is public safety. So we had to fulfill that. Plus, we walked into situations where, um, 70%, over 70% of our police fleet was over 10 years old with over 100,000 miles in the vehicles. We found out, and I found it in our third quarter of fitness uh, uh, report, uh, operational report, that only uh, 75% of the police fleet was operational. 25% was not. Plus, we had an increase of $3.5 million for, for uh, maintenance increases because of that. Because prior councils had decided they didn't want to spend the money for capital improvements or replenishment or an asset repurchase plan. Uh, so at sooner or later, you, you have to make decisions. So we've committed as a council there, and there are, you know, six of us of the nine. We have eight uh, single-member district reps and the mayor. Six of us are new, brand new as of June, and uh, we're moving ahead. But what we're... We are, we are putting a lot of emphasis and dollars into economic development, the attraction of jobs, and we're seeing that a lot of that is coming to fruition, but it takes time. We passed in 2012 an over $600 million bond election for quality of life and to do things, and that's what we're trying to implement right now to track because I think given where we are in our tax base, our first, if we can, it'll take a while to get the capital investments to raise 
the, the, uh, the, the commercial side of it. But so it's going to be sales tax revenues that are going to help to have to increase that will help our, on, our, on our budget. So we need to complete all of these projects that we have, new hotels, new things, some uh, amenities uh, throughout the city to attract people coming in who, uh, you know, uh, swim meets and things like that in aquatic centers so that we can uh, attract the uh, sales tax dollars that we need to move us ahead. Mayor Price, y'all are currently trying to decide what your tax rate is. Um, and as I understand it, you're looking at lowering the actual rate. It's just a question of how much. That's correct. And kind of the big debate right now is whether or not to use some property taxes um, for, tra- for public transportation, for the, the T, which is um, you know, Tarrant County's transit agency. Um, which is that's really rare in Texas um, for a city to commit property taxes um, to transit. You're for doing this. Can you kind of explain why? It's, it's an interesting proposition. Our tax rate has always been of the big cities the highest because historically our values have been lower. But our values, and we need to lower that rate to be competitive. And we started as we came out of the recession of 08, 9, 10, and 11, we started looking at how to lower that rate and still deliver services. Last year, we were able to lower the rate two cents. The proposal this year is to lower the rate three cents. And yes, you said we're looking at it. We haven't adopted. We had a little bit of a renegade. Um, I was out of town in uh, Italy, I mean, in Israel uh, two weeks ago, and where the budget was pretty well set at the three cents down and no money for transit. We dedicate a half-cent sales tax to transit currently, which is common. But the T had come in and asked for $5 million, or Fort Worth Transit Authority. And we have some on council who wanted it, but most didn't want to do it out of property tax. They wanted to look at funding, how do we support that, what are creative ways to do it, is there a way to leverage some of our debt service, all kinds of things. Could we use some other projects? So it was kind of off the table, I thought. And when I was gone, then... Somebody made a motion and talked the rest of them into setting another tax rate hearing to put a penny into transit. And like you said, that's not been done. We came back and said, okay, well, let's look at a compromise here. Let's look at a half cent. Let's set our rate two and a half cents down and put a half cent into this year, which is 2.8 million, a half cent, 2.86. And then we'll commission a task force to study what's the best way for us to partner with the T, one of the issues with the T, and they now call themselves Fort Worth Transit Authority, is that not only is their half-cent sales tax not enough to keep them operating, but they don't have any other partners to speak of. Grapevine is a partner on the new text rail, the light rail, and then North Richland Hills has just voted to join. Most cities have additional partners in their transit system. So that got yesterday... Didn't the hearing didn't make because we didn't have a quorum of council present. So now we're back to the three cents. So Tuesday we will adopt our three cent. We will adopt the budget as we proposed originally, and then we're going. I'm going to ask the city manager to create a force to actually study this, and at 90 days then to potentially go in and look and see if there's any budget savings where we can. We need to make that investment for a city the size of Fort Worth and the growth that we're having. We need to expand our transit system. And at some point, my hope is I don't support making this a long-term use of property taxes, but I don't mind a one-year, maybe two-year 
piece going in to help them get this next line stable. Why do you think it's so important to invest in transit? You're never going to pour enough concrete in cities to accommodate. I mean, look at, we drove in the gridlock on 35 into Austin. You and I were talking about that. It's Saturday afternoon and the traffic's bumper to bumper. We don't want to have that in Fort Worth. We want people to begin, and Texans love their cars, and I'm just as guilty as anybody in the audience. I love my car, too. But we have, we'll never be able to move enough people, particularly in a large geographic city like Fort Worth. We're 350 square miles with another 352 square miles of ETJ that's gradually being annexed on a voluntary basis. That'll make us 700 square miles, and you're never going to get enough concrete poured to accommodate that. I-35 has been expanded. It's now 10 lanes. So what are we going to do, make it 20 lanes? And now you're into taking business right and stuff. We just have to make transit something that appeals to more people. Inner city residents who don't necessarily want another car or can't afford another car, we have to expand our system. And as we say, it's got to become a sexier, more agile system for people to ride. Councilman, I mean, setting the tax rate is just part of, of, I mean, a key part of, of a city budget. What do you see as the differences on the local level? Like, what different challenges do y'all have in in setting your budget versus the state level and the and the federal level? You know, we just passed our budget last week, so a lot of us are still fresh with with regard to something we were doing different in this budget that we hadn't done in any other budget previous to this. And so, cities are unique in that the way that folks, you know, Mayor Margot and and Mayor Price understand their job is that if they get it wrong, then they're going to hear about it at the grocery store or at the gas pump. And what we've kind of understood is that we need to get some things right today that we just didn't get right 20 or 30 years ago or 50 years ago. So we took this budget and tried something a little different that that the city of San Antonio hadn't done before, which was we tried to take what was called an equity lens towards the approach of infrastructure or towards really any issue. So instead of saying, so we're single-member districts just like El Paso, but what the tendency to to happen when you're in single-member districts is to get very tribal about your area and your area getting, uh, if not more money than just as much as any other district. So what we did is we looked at the history of San Antonio, the history of where investments have gone traditionally, and and realized that there were some neighborhoods that for a long time had been neglected and had fallen into disrepair while other neighborhoods were growing faster than we can keep up up with the pace. So what we did is uh, we we exercised this with um, our infrastructure dollars, so the amount of money that goes into streets. So typically the way to, to distribute money for infrastructure is you have 10 different districts and roughly proportional amount of funding for each one of the districts. But in this case, and it caused a little bit of a, of a stir of controversy because some districts lost out. So some districts got an even baseline of money, about $6 million, but some districts got an extra four, five, six million million, $6 because we're not trying to do what we've always done, which is to con- you know, continue to spread the, the resources that we have because every city's resources are finite. And, and when you think about wanting to solve all of the problems all at once, what you're talking about is one of two things. You're increasing revenues or you're just not doing one of two other things and you're just prioritizing. So we decided to prioritize with an equity lens our city's budget to t- try to tackle a lot of the historically underserved areas. Part of that was not just on fixing more streets and areas that had been neglected, part of my district, which is an area on the south side of San Antonio, but also, in to speak to Mayor Price's uh, point, investing in transit. 
So just like Fort Worth, we are funded with half a cent of our city sales tax. And we decided for the first time to use city resources, general fund dollars, and invest $10 million every year to try to tackle our bus system and get it into a get it to a system that is 21st century, because right now it is very much a 21st, 20th century mm-hmm. process. What I mean by that is that uh, if I am trying to get from my home to the downtown to City Hall on a regular workday, it would take me two hours on a bus. And so what I've realized, talking to community members, they actually challenged me on this. This is the power of social media. I was taking a picture once on the bus, and, uh, and somebody said, oh, that's really cute that you took the bus one day. But try doing that for an entire month and, and understanding what it's like to have that be your only form of transportation. Not a, tr- not a transportation option, but your only option. Um, and quickly realize that you're spending five hours on a bus in some cases because you're working later, you're transferring three or four different times. So the city is uh, in this equity lens trying to understand where is it that we've made some misses in our history. Uh, and so we've taken that approach to this year's budget. But it's, it's really, it's an exciting time for the city of San Antonio. I think a lot of cities, as they're understanding that, that cities are where people want to live and where people want to go. And you have to sort of predict the trends. And if the trend is that less people are, are moving out into the suburbs, more people are choosing to be with inside the city core, uh, you don't have two, two vehicle ownership per house, maybe you have one, um, you've got to understand uh, how a city predicts those trends and invests early to, to get ahead. Um, the, during the regular and both the, the special session, um, local control um, and preemption of local control um, you know, was a major theme. Um, and Lieutenant Governor Patrick, um, I mean, basically said this summer um, that, you know, these democratic cities are, you know, we need to rein them in, um, which I think two of you, at least two of you on the panel will find extremely um, humorous because there is this notion, not just in Texas, but in across the U.S., that, you know, yeah. you have a bunch of, you, you have the federal government and a bunch of state houses that are run by Republicans um, and then that big cities are, you know, run by Democrats. Uh, Mayor Price, Mayor Margo, y'all both previously held public office as Republicans. Do you kind of feel like the the cities are unfairly, and this is for, for all three of you, but that the, the state government, state lawmakers unfairly lump all the cities in together kind of as like one, one group and, and kind of see y'all as all being the same? It's overreach. It's overreach. I told the governor that. He's paranoid about Austin. He thinks Austin's turning into San Francisco. Uh, so, uh, uh, you know, I went down to meet with him. I signed the letters. I don't I talk about that. And I said, uh, I was there with the mayor of Lubbock and the mayor of Amarillo. And we explained to him that I reiterated what our tax base was, and I said, we're acutely aware of any impact in El Paso. I'm acutely aware, as a mayor, and our council is, of any changes in our tax rates or tax rate when we were dealing with Senate Bill 1, Betancourt's Senate Bill 1, and the reduction down to 4%. Well, if our valuations were going up like Plano's at 16%, we would have done a reduction. I asked uh, Lubbock and Amarillo what their mix was between commercial and and, uh, residential, and it was 50-50. I told told our... uh, Council members and, and the public at large, if we had 50-50, we'd be, we'd be doing tax reduction. But it's, it's, all, it's all a factor of where we are at this particular point in time. 
but I was very disappointed in the overreach. I served on appropriations in the legislature. I understand that. I understand the, the, what happens with unfunded mandates. But the bottom line is uh, that, uh, to me, it goes against the basics of Texas liberty and where we are is to not have local control. Uh, you know, so I guess we're – I don't know why this – as I say, the tail's wagging the dog here, but, the, uh, but it's a problem. And uh, we need to be held accountable. That's fine. But uh, I, the overreach is not helpful, not when we're trying to deal with the day-to-day. He talked about – you know, transportation and pavement, the biggest issues I heard in my campaign were potholes, streets, and taxes. And we've addressing, we're addressing those one right after the other. Uh, we're going to do a pavement index study. We're, we're avoiding, I want to avoid the parochial nature of individual districts and kind of look at it in that large basis and to come up with enough empirical data that no council member can argue that this is the way the streets ought to be repaved and done. We're going to have to do a pavement index study first, and then we're going to we're going to use that, which hasn't been done and should have been done within, that, they tell me, about every five years or so. We haven't done it in six or eight or even longer, I think. So we're going to do which is expensive. It's a payment index study across the, across the community. And then we'll take that data along with the frequency of travel on various roads and then set up our model for resurfacing, or actually reconstruction. We were doing resurfacing, but reconstruction, which is much more expensive, on the basis of that empirical data, where no one can argue. It may be more in one district than another, but, but the evidence will be there, and that's the way I want to look at it. Because as mayor, I'm the only one that's really at large. Yeah, I agree. This was a very difficult session, and it's not just here in Texas. It's going on all over the nation. It just happened to be really focused here. And the old adage that local government is the best government. You know, this is a, Local mayors and council members, you, you see them at church, you see your constituents at church. You see them at Sunday school. They stop you at the restaurants. We were at dinner last night, and we were actually in Arlington, which is one of our neighboring suburban areas, and five people stopped and asked me, what were we going to do about their potholes? They happened to be from Fort Worth, too. And we always say that potholes don't care whether you're Republican or Democrat. Mayors and council members have to answer to the constituents and make the services. you got to have police on the street. you got to have fire ready. you got to have code. You've got to pick up the trash. And when you turn that tap on in the morning to brush your teeth, you want clean water. And I'm not sure that they understand the complexities of running this, the cities. Plus, people are fiercely proud of the city they live in. They pick a city for the character and the way the city ebbs and flows. They may not always like our decisions, but we're out there listening to them. Every two years, we do a city service satisfaction study of our citizens, and we get about an 85% rating from our citizens. And one of my engagement, one of my hallmarks of my administration has been engagement. You mentioned the bike riding. I mean, we started out doing rolling town halls, and we've had hundreds of town halls with thousands of citizens riding all over. We do walking town halls. We do Twitter town halls every two or three weeks. We were the first city to do them. I did them, and we do them in English and Spanish. And our most recent Twitter town hall had 35,000 views for an hour, people sending questions back and forth. That's how you find out what your citizens really want. That's how you find out where that tax rate needs to be, what services they need. I think that direct daily interaction is the difference. And I think that painting cities, Fort Worth's not at all like San Antonio or not at all like El Paso, and they're not like us either. And, of course, you know, we barter with Dallas, with just Arlington in between us and Irving on the other side. 
but people work in Dallas and live in Fort Worth for a reason. Or they live in Dallas and come to Fort Worth to work and dine for a reason because they basically like the city, like what's there, and like the city administrations. And in our case, I'm not sure about y'all, they t- can turn us out every two years. Our, we're reelected every two years, and trust me, they'll tell you about it, and, and they will do it if they're unhappy. So local control is, it's, we've got to get back to that balance. The state doesn't really like the feds telling them what to do. Obviously, the cities don't want the states in that part of our business. But I do believe we have to work together. Remember in Texas, it's one of the only states where cities don't get money from the state government. Indeed, we send money to the state government. You know, our courts, we send a third to 50% of our court fees go back to the state. A lot. We get money in the form of some transportation aid, but we get no direct state aid. Cities must fully fund themselves, in essence. And that's, a, that's an issue that's been lost in this dialogue, is that the states aren't funding us, so why tell us exactly what to do? You know, I, uh, I love sitting on a panel with, with mayors and council members because they're, they're urban mechanics, and they know the difference between resurfacing and reconstruction and how much one costs much more than the other and they know what a pavement index looks like and what streets need to get taken care of that's what i don't think folks in austin who are at the state capitol understand and without even looking at either one of mayor margo mayor price's budget i can already tell you and this is where i think a criticism should be leveled but it's not true but i can tell you about those budgets is that over 60 percent go to police and fire that right after that, ours is at 66 at San Antonio, and right after that, it's streets and drainage, infrastructure, the bread and butter of what our communities are asking for. And then after that, you have things like parks and library, the quality of life uh, elements that you need to invest into a city. And, and I don't think that's what the folks in, in Austin understand, is that there's a sense that every city is trying to strive for uh, a certain amount of quality of life that they're trying to bring to their communities. And this isn't the type of, we're not living in an era where you, you are, you have to, that you're born in the same city that you die in. That's not the case. And every city is competing for people who are coming there, jobs and, 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 and employers coming to their city. So we need to be flexible enough to be able to respond. And so when I saw what was going on in Austin and a few other folks in San Antonio, we just, we're, we're not a big fan of stunts. And that's what I think most of those things were, is that they were political stunts. And in many cases, what they were doing was going around all these cities, and, and digging holes and then trying to sell us the ladder that this was their solution, whether it was about bathrooms or sanctuary cities um, or, or the property tax relief, which was not property tax relief. A lot of that was, I think, just stunts that put cities in this bad light. But if you want to be objective, look at where that money is going. And, and it truly is going to the core services that cities need to invest in and what our communities expect. Let me add something to that, Brandon. You know, we take, and I, I'm assuming this is commensurate with the other cities. In El Paso, if you take your tax dollar, 26% of it goes to the city. 48% is going to schools. So all the issues related to taxes are really primarily driven on the school non-funding issues, which ought to be the priority. I was disappointed that Hubert's bill didn't get through. Uh, you know, that's that's where the bulk of our taxes are going from our property tax standpoint in, 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 in uh, El Paso. And 23% of it's the uh, county and uh, our uh, county hospital. So people have this distortion. It's not the city taxes. It's school. 
And in Fort Worth, it's we're about 30%. Schools are 58% with the county and the county hospital less. And it's interesting because when I was elected tax assessor in 2000, the schools were funded 60% by the state and 40% by local property taxes. So the schools made up probably 38 to 40% of your tax bill. And gradually, over the last 17 years, as the state cut funding, we watched those tax bills escalate. And the escalator is all, the driver of the escalation is always school taxes. Not cities and not counties, not county hospitals. The driver is on the school side. As state funding shrinks, local must pick that back up if you're to maintain any kind of education. Whereas currently, you know, Fort, Fort Worth schools are 60% to 62% uh, local taxes and the balance is state. So it's exactly the opposite where it was 17 years ago. And property taxes are the biggest single bill. Having done that for 11 years, it's the biggest single bill that people pay. And it's one of the most misunderstood bills that they pay. Let's kind of change course a little bit here. Um, So Amazon has announced that um, it's shopping around for a new headquarters. Um, Mayor Dallas Mayor Mike Rawlings earlier today said that um, so far everyone's kind of um, approaching it, they're trying to sell Amazon on the on the region, their particular regions, um, not yet trying to sell specific cities within those regions. Um, can each of you kind of give us your pitch for for your region and, and why it would be the best place for uh, Amazon to bring so many employees? Because it's Fort Worth and Dallas. What more do you have to say? You know? <laughs> With Fort Worth being the best piece of that. No, seriously. <laughs> What would you expect me to say? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, seriously, everybody's got their own pitch, and Amazon will have to weigh that out. For us, we're the youngest big city in the state right now and fourth youngest in the nation right now. We're, our average age is 31.6. We have a great River Vision project going on. We have two Amazon. We have one their big fulfillment center. We have the two distribution centers, one in Dallas and one in Hazlitt, which is actually on the Fort Worth border, part Fort Worth and part Hazlitt. We just landed the Facebook's big uh, data center and opened it. They're so happy that they're doubling the space of it. Mark Zuckerberg was there recently and said it'll be his largest data center in the world, and he loves what's happening in Fort Worth. There's a lot of positive things. It's a great climate. We're a very conservative climate. They're a very moderate liberal company, but we've got, you know, that funky town edge. People tend to think about us as Cowtown, but we're still, we've got a big funky area too that's fun. Dallas has the same thing, and essentially if you come to the Dallas-Fort Worth region, you've got two major, the ninth largest and the 16th largest cities within 20 minutes of each other with great access, not the gridlock that they have in some of the other cities. We feel very confident that we'll get at least on the short list. And then the gloves will come off among the cities once you make the short list. And we'll win. <laughs> yeah, funny, fun fact, we were in the back room talking about Amazon because it comes up when you're city uh, leaders, um, and everybody got very quiet. Nobody wanted to talk much about what the other city was doing. I took some notes about what some folks were doing, but... <laughs> It, you know, this is, this is, Amazon's a very smart company. They know exactly what they're doing. And what they're doing is they're telling, okay, cities, uh, we need a prom date, and we want to find out who's the prettiest of them all, and then we're going to decide which from you all, uh, who we're taking to the prom. And all of us are scrambling because we want to find the nicest dress or suit to put on to make sure that we look uh, nice for Amazon. But the question that I think you need to 
think about behind that is that cities should probably be working on those criteria that Amazon had set up already. And so some of the things, I won't, you know, our economic development team will put a big pitch out, but some of the things that come out is they're saying, hey, look, this is what we think a 21st century city should have. Access to, to mass transit, multimodal options. Uh, you know, they, they talked about access to, to a lot of direct flights where Fort Worth and Dallas has a very strong advantage to a lot of other cities in Texas. Point for you, Mayor Price. Um, but a lot of us are trying to, to figure out how we compete uh, in a way that distinguishes ourselves from our neighboring cities. And that's when jungle rules apply. And, and it's the, the survival of the fittest. And, you know, I'm here in Austin for, for a day, but uh, I'd love to be you know, sneaking into Whole Foods or Dell to steal them away. That's when, you're right, gloves come off within uh, cities. And so San Antonio is positioning itself, I imagine, uh, as a city that is like Fort Worth, uh, a city that is young and growing very, very quickly. We've got a strong corridor uh, pitch to make between Austin and San Antonio. So some have talked about that that being um, a pivotal step for a unique advantage that San Antonio has, as is the connection to uh, the Latin American market that I'm sure El Paso could probably speak to as well. But um, a lot of the, the, the underpinnings of a city functioning start to come back to what are those things that are making headlines that are not so good. Um, and, and to get back to a point about, you know, tell me about the availability of my workforce. How many universities do you have? And that's work where San Antonio has probably lost out on significant uh, projects in the past. And I'll just give one very quick example. The currency for, for getting economic development projects to land in your city is no longer just tax abatements, money, incentives, free land, because everybody can offer that. Where you're going to have to start distinguishing yourself, and San Antonio is recognizing this, is on the human capital, which is uh, we about four or five years ago, we lost out on a big economic development project for aerospace uh, manufacturing and engineers. And we lost to a northeast city. And so we came back after that and said, okay, after action review, what did city lack on? And they said, look, you, you threw the kitchen sink at us. You, you gave us all the incentives we needed, but we would have had to import talent and, and, and people to come to your city because we looked at your high school graduation rates, we looked at your college going rates, and, and that's going to be the next level of a, of, of, a, of a tool in the toolbox for cities to be able to explain that and, and why you're not investing in it, which hurts us because you think about the legislature that is cutting back on education, and that's where things get real for cities. When we're distracted by stunts and you've got school board members telling you that we need to do more to put more teachers and resources into schools, and you're, you're realizing all of these pieces are connected um, and so I think Texas will do a great job. Uh, the Enterprise Fund from the state will offer a ton of resources to get it in Texas, no doubt. But if they start asking Texas about, well, tell me about how many students you're able to graduate through college and tell me about how your workforce is ready to take these jobs year one, uh, we're going to have some work to do. So just to be able to talk about the good and the bad. Um, my position is I think in addition to, to being the prettiest, you've got to have some personality. Mm-hmm. I don't think uh, I don't think El, I don't think anybody has more personality than El Paso. <laughs> uh, you know, we we have we are on the Mexican border. Many people have never been to El Paso. Okay, people don't realize they fly in there. They don't realize we're four thousand feet above sea level. There's a mountain through the center, and that you can see Mexico as you drive around I ten. No matter how many times we've told people that, and they fly, wow, that's Mexico. Yes, it's not San Diego 20 miles away. We're right there. 
As a result of that, we have the largest binational, bilingual workforce in the world with the largest city on the U.S.-Mexico border. Our average age is 31. So we think we have lots of things. We have multiple universities on both sides of the border. And uh, we think we have great attributes to share with people. We are, we perceive ourselves in a real renaissance right now. We're revamping, much like Fort Worth did some years ago, our downtown. New hotels, new uh, 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 multi-purpose special events center we're working on. All of this part of, we've got over somewhere in the neighborhood of two, two and a half billion dollars of new construction starting between our two, two largest school districts in the city. Plus, we've already handled a $5 billion investment expansion with BRAC, the base realignment and closure process, at Fort Bliss. It's up to $7.6 billion. It's a whole new city. We took care of that. We took care of all the troops that came in, which was over 36,000. Fort Bliss is our largest employer. For those that don't know, Fort Bliss is the size of Rhode Island. And when you put White Sands Missile Range, which is contiguous next to it, it's the size of Connecticut. People don't understand all that. We expanded. We brought in the 1st Armored Division from Germany. We brought in all of their dependents. We took care of them in the schools. We made sure we had enough nurses and doctors and all of the facilities that were needed. So from a logistical standpoint, been there, done that. And no matter where it lands, it, which one of these three cities, because it'll be one of the three of us, of course. Um, it's a great opportunity for Texas. And Texas has right now what we need, what a company like Amazon needs. And for any of us who are making the pitch, it's a great rehearsal on how do you land a major company like that. We went through this with Facebook and their billion-plus investment, and now to step that up to Amazon, I think that it really keeps cities' economic development tools sharp. It keeps you there. And, and bottom line, they'll look at the personalities and all. They're going to look at the economic incentives packages. It'll be an economic decision for them with a quality of life added to it to also. So looks, personality, and money. Yep. Okay. Um, before, right? The workforce. Personality trumps. <laughs> uh, um, that's, I need to tell you about San Antonio's <laughs> breakfast tacos. I think we can, all, <laughs> we can all claim our personality. We always say Fort Worth's a city of great character made up of great characters. You go to the stockyards and check them out. Um, that's all the time I have for questions for y'all. Um, but go ahead and open it up to the audience. Um, if people have questions, feel free to go ahead and um, just step up to the microphones on either side of the room. Um, you were Johnny on the spot, so we'll go ahead and start with you. Just your name and your uh, question. Okay, my name is Greg Worthington. First off, I was born in El Paso. My my wife's family lives in Fort Worth, but I'm from San Antonio. So thank you for you, all you guys do Perfect. for all the people that I love. Um, um, Councilman Saldana, you mentioned that um, that you guys looked at the history of San Antonio um, and and the uh, the the in, the inequities and and the, and the way that and the inequalities in the way that. Um, local government and others that had participated in the past that um, marginalized communities of color <laughs> that still have an impact today. Um, so I'm curious about two things. One is for the other for the other councilmen, is this something that you guys are doing um, to look at look at these histories and not just like the past few decades, but like starting with 
um, at least with the inception of Texas as, as an independent country. Um, <laughs> but also, uh, how, how, how can you share that with, um, what can we do to share that with uh, the lo- our local communities so that voters can be informed on these things as well when they vote on issues? Um, perhaps, uh, what I, and what I'm thinking of is in the form of um, curriculum for pub- uh, our local public schools. So, uh, yeah, I think it, it was start, started with me about what San Antonio was doing. So let me, let me begin by saying that uh, what we did, and, and it, you know, I was, uh, last week I was sitting, talking to uh, high school students, and many high school students don't know what a city council person does. Mm-hmm. And so I had to explain to them in very simple terms. And the way we got to the discussion about inequities, not just in infrastructure, but the way people have been treated, was I, I described to them what, we, what I do as a councilman, what mayors do, and I said to them, Have you, has anybody ever played the game SimCity? Uh, and maybe people in this audience might know it, but those high school students didn't. But it's about choosing where things go in a city, making sure it's operational. And, and I said to them, there's an example about in San Antonio, like there exists in El Paso or Fort Worth, where you just have to put things. You have to put your airport, where you choose to put your universities, where to put your things that are positive in development. And sometimes you have to put things like landfills or, or where you find uh, junkyards. And I think that's the way we've looked at the history of inequities in the city and the way certain neighborhoods have been treated. In my district, we had a landfill that uh, existed and was noxious, so community members had to deal with that for you know, 30, 40 years. Uh, we've now, it's been retired as a landfill. We just turned it into the city's largest park, uh, invested $7.5 million into it. So going from a dump to a destination, but I think that's what, the, that's what we're trying to do when we're talking about inequities and uh, not trying to repeat mistakes of the past. Um, but that's the way we've looked at budget numbers, getting to tackle um, through an equity lens the way that other budgets perhaps were just trying to share resources and in some cases share resources to areas that typically always got the investments. I think when 54% of your population is not native to your city, mm-hmm. then you really have to do an even better job of looking at the historically underserved neighborhoods, their history, why they're there, what they brought to the city. I mean, oftentimes you... You know, people don't realize the north side of Fort Worth was there for the cattle drives and the packing plants originally. That history, if we weren't focused on renovating the stockyards and bringing that forward and helping people have more pride in their neighborhoods and who they are and teaching the children and getting that curriculum out. And our council members and myself both spend a significant amount of time in the school (coughs) talking about the history of Fort Worth and how we've moved forward. Our Stop 6 neighborhood, which was the sixth stop and final stop on the original trolley, quote, bus system in Fort Worth is an area that's historically had high poverty that we are now investing again in. And it's not investing in a handout. It's investing in new sidewalks, new streetlights, additional police patrol, a bike unit that knows, gets out and talks to the citizens there because a lot of those citizens are new, but a lot of them have been there or their families have been there for 150 years or more. But we also make a point of taking businesses into that area to try to work on the economic development. It's not the alliance area that's so hot that now has all the new jobs. We have to focus on bringing those areas back in and keeping them on the same playing field as the rest of the city. Yes, ma'am. 
Oh, um, my name is Sarah Rodriguez. Thank you for coming here and speaking so much. It's a really wonderful panel. Really excited to hear y'all talk. Um, I was curious. So it seems like cities now are focusing and talking largely about growth. It seems to be this neurosis because if you're not growing, then you're declining. Um, and how you're working with sustainability and making sure that if someone, a larger industry, moves out, that there's someone to come in and replace it. Do you want to start, Maya Margo? We'll just work. Well, you know, that's critical for everything. Jobs and capital investment are, as I alluded to, are, are absolutely paramount to El Paso and where we are. Uh, we don't have heavy corporate headquarters there. We only have two basic large corporate headquarters. We've been a tertiary support industry tied to the Maquila manufacturing in, uh, in, in Mexico. So we're, we're trying to expand beyond that. Uh, you know, our, our assets are not... I tell people we're like in, in, from a biblical standpoint, we keep our light under a bushel basket, and it shouldn't be. People don't know what we have in El Paso. When I served in the legislature, I made the comment, uh, someone made the comment to me that over 75% of the legislature had never even been to El Paso. And uh, so what we're trying to do is, is illuminate and elucidate people about who we are and what we're about, we are we, we're dealing with sustainability. We're doing some things that are connecting. We're over 400 years old. Our first, our first community was on the south side of the Rio Grande, what is now Mexico. And then it migrated to the other side. So uh, we have rich history. We have a, a, a wealth of culture uh, as a binational community. And we're, uh, we're trying to make sure that connection remains. And we're doing things from a city council standpoint and a regulatory standpoint for sustainability and uh, making sure that our community is, meets all the standards that everyone would want. We've got the weather. We don't have the tornadoes. We don't have hurricanes. We don't have earthquakes. We've got, every, we've, we've got a beautiful high desert community. We've got the Chihuahua. And we've got the Chihuahua baseball. <laughs> <laughs> Pacific past Pacific Coast League champions. Good question. And I think, uh, you know, cities aren't just growing and adding population just for the sake of growing. And in some cases, some cities have said, we want to stop growing. We can't keep up with this. Uh, but we know in San Antonio that in the next, by 2040, we're going to add a million new people, uh, whether we stop doing everything that we're doing now or not. So the question is, how, to, how does a city uh, brace for that? And it's about you know, do you have enough water? Do you have enough utility? Is housing going to remain affordable for the people who live there? Uh, so it presents a lot of different policy discussions that we've been tackling, and I'll just take one to describe uh, the ways we've been innovative in San Antonio. So uh, in, in, here's the comparison. In 1982, on water, uh, we were using about 225 gallons per person per year. We've now doubled in size since 1982, but we now use 144 gallons uh, per person a year. So it's about conserving and, and coming up with sustainable solutions for a city that is growing. The same thing we need to do about the way that water flows in our city. When, when we would allow de developers to just you know, pave over and allow impervious cover to exist everywhere that it, it needed to, we, we're now trying to implement strategies where we have low-impact development. We're letting water go through its natural course of permeating into the ground instead of just adding pavement or asphalt. Uh, those are the types of things, as well as transportation networks. San Antonio is the largest city uh, to still be able to meet the uh, air quality attainment standards set by the, the EPA. Um, not a lot of cities can say that, but it's because we're trying to do our best to keep up with growth without allowing growth to swallow us up uh, on those qualities. 
Yeah, everybody, nobody wants growth to swallow them up. We're all working on our sustainability on water. How do we get our transportation? We talked about the transit earlier. How do we get enough parks in to keep that quality of life, the world-class museums that we have? But you also have to look at your economic development piece of that. You've got businesses constantly coming and going. Are you recruiting the right businesses that fit your workforce? Or are you training the workforce that's going to fit the businesses of the future? It kind of goes hand in glove. And we're working closely with our chamber on a new 20-year study because we'll more than double our size again by 2040 if the predictions hold and so far they appear to be. So you have to figure out what are you doing with workforce, where are you putting these businesses, and then what kind of quality of life are you offering, and can the city sustain the services and still have an equitable financial commitment for our citizens to deliver those. It's got to be a long-term, it's got to be a full ball of wax. You've got to look at every angle of it to see that you're getting and managing the growth. Otherwise, the growth either stops or it eats you alive. Yes, sir. Hi, my name is Manuel Martin, and um, I finished high school in Fort Worth my last year, and I was just in San Antonio two weeks ago. I've lived in Austin since 1978, roughly, and I've watched the massive expansion of the city I also was struck by how spread out San Antonio is and how, of course, spread out Fort Worth is. <laughs> and in light of that, I'm curious. In Austin, we tried an attempt at some mass transit. We built a train up to Cedar Park. There was a discussion about building a train out to Dripping Springs, both of which are roughly 30 miles away. In light of the fact that someone takes a train to downtown Austin, how do they get to their jobs that may be, say, up by UT, where it's maybe a two-mile walk in the rain or 105-degree heat? And this issue gets back to one of uh, urban planning, I grew up in Madrid, Spain, and um, when I was a child in Spain, there's about 40 kilometers of metro. There's 700 kilometers of metro now. There's um, uh, buses with bus lanes and whatnot. And it comes back, when I was a child, the traffic there was horrible. And um, I was just in Spain last year. The traffic's probably a third of what it was when I was a child in Madrid. But it stems from the fact that the cities are truly dense, which allows for mass transit. And in light of that, how do you all see a solution to a reality-based public transfer system in light of the fact that the cities are so vastly spread out. For us in Fort Worth, one of our big pushes has been urban villages, which is about redensifying the inner city so that the people are closer in where you don't have to worry about such spread out mass transit. We're still building on the outskirts and we're working on that piece. We also have a complete streets initiative so that every street that's applicable has bike lanes and adequate areas for people to walk. We've got a a very robust and growing B-cycle system. It's that last mile of the transportation link. It's the fact that you want people to get out of their cars and get on the buses or on the light rail but be able to pick up a bicycle and go to work or leave their car parked at lunch. It's an ongoing issue for every Texas city, I believe, and you have to just wrap your head around what's going to be the best solution for your own city. Yeah, great question because San Antonio is so spread out and it's, a, it's an interesting case study because you ask yourself the question, can you flip it to all of a sudden go to a different type of, of, of density than what is already existing on the ground? So what is true in San Antonio is also true in other major cities, uh, not just in Texas but across the country where there is this resurgence of an interest in downtown. And for, a lot, for many cities, they ask, uh, what's going to come first? Is it going to be the businesses that start moving downtown or is it going to be the residents who move in? Uh, we decided to just pick in that chicken and egg scenario and say we're going to incentivize uh, housing in the downtowns to create the market to allow it to spur itself. 
Uh, but the bad part about that is, is it is still much cheaper for a developer to buy up several hundred acres outside of our loop um, and build. And until we start getting very serious about pl- urban planning that uh, provides either greater incentives or better disincentives to that form, we're going to be really running into each other because we're trying to invest into downtowns that are more dense that will allow us to do transportation networks that, that are connected and, and are, are connected to um, development that comes along there. But San Antonio is a, an interesting story because we are allergic to the word rail, and we have been three different cycles that we've asked voters in the last 20 years. At some point, uh, we need to figure out how to move not just cars, but move people. And, and I think we're really struggling with that in San Antonio, but we'll get there. I want to, as I said, reasonably spread out with the mountain down the middle. Um, uh, we're uh, giving more incentives for infill development. and We're trying to attract more housing towards downtown and along with our expansion of our hotels. And we've set up on our transit system a new park called Brio, which is on three different lines to give a more direct, fast route in. And as those buses go down, they control their own streetlights. So we're going down there and, and trying to make sure we're meeting the demographic needs of our of our people. This okay. is our last question. Yes, ma'am. Okay. I'm Brooke. Uh, in terms of cost recovery for different departments, has your cities looked into community policing? Um, that could help benefit, since you said 60% of your budget goes towards public safety. Have you thought about integrating that into uh, departments across your city and maybe benefiting from that cost recovery and helping like with programs throughout the city? You mentioned public safety because I worried about the same, but the statistic is Fort Worth has more fewer officers per capita than any of the other major cities. And one of the reasons is we have an incredible Code Blue pro- uh, project where citizens help in neighborhood policing. That's been very successful. Plus, we have a half cent on sales tax. It's allowed us to add in anti-crime programs and for the crime control prevention, all kinds of things. But we're looking at how do you put citizens to use, how do you put volunteers, interns, everyone to help augment your staffing in several different departments. We've got a lot of public-private partnerships, particularly on our uh, planning and development side and on our water side. Those are always a real real help in keeping the number of employees and your resources down. You've got to be very creative if you're going to keep your tax bill manageable. That is a very astute question. I would imagine that you're probably studying some public administration because that's a, yeah. uh, you know... <laughs> We just last Monday, we passed, so we passed our budget last week, but on Monday I went to go visit with our police officers in, in a department called the Mental Health Unit. And uh, Mental Health Unit is, is a group of officers who deal with homeless, people who call uh, 911 on a number of different cases, but are, are trained in the way to understand if somebody is dealing with, uh, they're almost not, not just social workers, but, but psychologists, and can walk somebody down, de-escalate a situation, they're some of the best officers we have. We have a 2,400-officer force, and only 10 of them are in our mental health unit. So we're already l- looking at ways to make sure that we're increasing the amount of folks we have in mental health unit because of the cost recovery. Um, and I'll just give you an example. It's now public because we voted on it last week, but we had to pay out to an individual because uh, he was. The, the case was he was in a vehicle. The officers had to force him out of the vehicle. Uh, because we thought he was being uh, unresponsive, didn't want to, he was resisting arrest, but he was having a diabetic episode. 
And a mental health unit expert would have known that, or a mental health unit officer would have known that. Same thing that they know about uh, people who deal with urinary tract infections that sometimes cause them to go through a different type of psychosis that wouldn't be acting like they would have. Um, so in terms of cost recovery, we, we need to add, in terms of San Antonio, at least you know, double the amount of people, of officers, and have everybody go through that training to, to save on the back end. El Paso is ranked the first or second safest city in the nation and has been for a number of years by various statistical measurements. We do community policing now, have done for years. Now, one of the things we just started is this community intervention team for the mental health issues, the exact same thing we're talking about. We looked at Houston. We looked at uh, San Antonio. Uh, we're going to do three uh, police academies over the next year and a half, which is expensive for a city. And uh, we are, uh, you need to be aware, too, that we're going to put 14 officers out of our police academy into our community intervention team, and then we're going to train the rest of, uh, of the force over time to the level that they need to. But remember, the state passed the Sandra Bland Act mm-hmm. this year, and as a result of that, there is mental health training mandated across the, uh, the entire spectrum for all police officers. But the community intervention teams that we're talking about here and that Houston has are a little different unit to, ba- as he said, to de-escalate, and that's what we want to try to do and, uh, you know, not, not have situations where they were off their meds or, or diabetic situations or whatever escalate to a, uh, to a harmful uh, situation. And today's officers are more than just your basic police officer. They have to be so much more. And a lot of that starts on the front end in your interview process and explaining what they're going to be. And then some of it comes down to specializing, putting the large majority of them into patrol and community policing and then the special units that support them on the back end. And that's all the time that we have. Um, again, um, there will be a meet and greet with the panelists uh, in the lobby of the Jessen Auditorium uh, next door. Thank you all for being here, and uh, thank, thank you. you to the uh, panelists. Thank you.